May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Was it just me, or did y'all feel a little uncomfortable when that gospel passage was read. Did anyone else find themselves shifting in their seat a little, maybe a little red around the ears? If you didn't, let me just repeat a few of the things Jesus said. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to take a moment and look around you. If you're joining us online, squint at your screen. This is a beautiful nave. I very much believe that the very beauty of this nave honors and glorifies God. Renovations to it We're also part of an over $20 million capital campaign we just completed. That's a pretty hefty chunk of change. Let's broaden this outside of St. George's, though. Did you know that this zip code we're in right now is one of the wealthiest zip codes in the American South? But perhaps you're saying to yourself, I don't live in this zip code. I wasn't able to contribute much at all to the capital campaign. This doesn't apply to me. Fair enough, not everyone has money to spare. I will assume, however, that whoever you are, secret objector, you live in the United States, in which case you are one of the richest people to ever walk the face of this planet. If you're part of a family of four making just $26,200 a year, which is the poverty line in the U.S. and breaks down to a little over $2,000 a month, if that's you, then you are richer than over 75% of people in the world today. In fact, you are in the top 21.4% to be exact. If, with that family of four, you actually make $100,000 a year, you are in the top 3.1%, which means that out of a given representative 100 people, there would only be two people who have more money than you. Are you feeling uncomfortable with this passage yet? I do. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Is Jesus just bashing the rich at this point? Does God only love the poor? Should all of us here start giving away all our money to the poor just like Jesus told the rich young man to? What is it about wealth anyways that apparently makes it such a barrier to entering the kingdom of God? At this point, I have some good news for you have some bad news for you. The good news is, this is not just about wealth. But before you get too comfortable and let go of that awkwardness, you want to hear the bad news. The bad news is, this is not just about wealth. 
Wealth here is ultimately representative of a wide variety of things that play a certain role in our lives. This passage, this hard saying of Jesus, as it is often called, is really about anything that we cling to more than we cling to the cross. Wealth has an amazingly subtle power to slip into that position in our lives, but it's hardly the only thing that can take on that role. To better explain this, let me tell you a little story. There's a book called Where the Red Fern Grows about a boy and his dogs. And at a certain point in this book, the main character, this boy, wants to teach his dogs to hunt raccoons. But he has a problem because, you see, in order to teach his dogs how to hunt raccoons, he has to have a raccoon scent for them to learn. But he doesn't have a raccoon yet. So his grandfather tells him that there is an easy way to trap a raccoon. You get a shiny piece of tin, or anything else shiny really, and drop it into a hole in a log. Then you take some nails and a hammer and you hammer those nails in kind of at an angle. The idea is that the raccoon, loving shiny things, will stick its little paw into that hole and will grab onto the shiny thing. But then once that paw is in kind of a little fist and it tries to pull back out, the nails will catch it and it won't be able to get its paws out. And voila, you have trapped the raccoon. A little boy is skeptical. He says, well, it could just drop that little piece of tin and escape. His grandfather says, the funny thing is about raccoons, they're not going to let go of that shiny thing. They're not going to let go. Well, the little boy decides to give it a try. So he sets up this trap just as the grandfather has specified. And sure enough, within a couple days, he's caught a raccoon. So excited, he runs back and he tells his dad and his family and they all come over to see this raccoon. And well, they need a raccoon hide, not a living raccoon. So his dad takes a branch, lacking any other weapon, and uh, takes care of the raccoon. And once the raccoon is dead, the little boy walks up and he sees that in that raccoon's fist, is still that little piece of tin. Even as it was being beaten to death, the raccoon did not let go in order to escape. Well, what does this have to do with our gospel reading? The rich young man in our gospel reading is like that raccoon. He knows something is wrong. He knows that he is trapped in some way. Despite all his righteous acts, despite all his faithful keeping of the commandments of the law, he still seeks out Jesus to ask him what he must do to inherit the kingdom of God. We could read this as him boasting, see, I have done all these great things. But really, I think it's much more likely that deep down inside, he knows something is missing. He instinctively knows he doesn't have the freedom of eternal life in God's kingdom. So Jesus reveals to him what is keeping him trapped. The shiny piece of tin for this man is his wealth. Jesus challenges him to let it go. But like the raccoon 
facing the boy and his father, he cannot bring himself to release his hold on his many possessions, even if it costs him true and eternal life. What barriers divide you from our Savior? What shiny pieces of tin do you polish and polish in your heart and in your mind, holding them closer and closer, and all the while building up a barrier between yourself and God? What do you take pride in? Where do you find your hope? Where do you trust your own wisdom above your Savior's? Or to put it another way, what are you most defensive about? What do you find yourself justifying to yourself and to others? What do you look to for comfort and hope when you're afraid? What keeps you from spending time with God, from loving your neighbor? What keeps you from prayer, from church, from obedience, from humility, from repentance? What do you seek above all else? What is your wealth? What is your shiny piece of tin death sentence? This passage, as I mentioned before, is referred to as one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And people call it that for a reason. We love to memorize, recite, and read, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And for good reason, it's beautiful and comforting and all those good things. But somehow I have never seen anyone beautifully calligraph or needlepoint children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Not because the gospel is easy, but because it's hard. If the gospel never offends you, if it never breaks you down, challenges you, or humbles you to the dust, then you have not understood the gospel in all its fullness. What do you cling to more than Jesus? What, if Jesus ordered you to give it up, would make you shake your head and walk away? Is it success? family, a certain understanding of who you are, health, pain, a well-merited grudge, or yes, maybe money? Or is it something entirely different, something I never would even guess? Now, I do want to say here that this is not just for those who have never become Christians, those who have never given their lives to Jesus. Even for those of us who have been Christians for a very long time, this problem comes up again and again because we as humans have this tendency to slip back into these bad habits, these sins, without even realizing it. We get distracted from Jesus. That's not to say we lose our salvation, but we're no longer living the fullness of life that God has for us because our hearts have been lured away. In the end, it doesn't matter what it is that you cling to instead of Jesus. Whatever it is, it is a barrier between you and the kingdom of God. Like a camel being squeezed through a narrow, narrow gate, you cannot bring your baggage with you. It has to stay behind. Jesus calls you to come and die to self. The only way to live is to let it go. But, as we know, 
the story doesn't end with death. Because in Christ, after death comes resurrection. You know, I find it fascinating that this man asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life, to inherit the kingdom of God. Inheritance, by its nature, implies relationship. It implies a thing that is given, not earned. The Bible tells us that Jesus saw the young man and loved him. I don't know exactly what prompted that love, but I do know that it was unmerited because the young man, however sadly, chooses his possessions over Jesus just a few minutes later. Jesus likewise offers all of us his love freely. And his love does come at a cost, but a cost to himself. When he asks us to give away our money, to die to ourselves, to do all these things that seem so terribly painful, he's really asking us to let go of that shiny piece of tin and be saved. More than that, though, Jesus knows we cannot. We are incapable of letting go on our own. So he takes the death it brings, and through his death, he enables us to let it go. We are adopted by God. The Bible tells us we are co-heirs with Christ. In effect, we inherit the kingdom of God. What must we do to inherit the kingdom of God? As Jesus tells his disciples, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Trust in God, let go of the tin. Cling to the cross that makes you a child of God. I'll close with one more brief story, this one from The Great Divorce. In the story, the narrator witnesses an interaction in heaven between an angel and a person who's been sent to hell but is being given a chance at heaven. The visitor from hell in the story is called a ghost. And this ghost has a little lizard on his shoulder. And it's whispering to him all the time. Well, at first, this ghost seems very interested in going further into heaven and in being there. But as the lizard whispers, the ghost turns around and starts to go back. Then the angel speaks up and it says that it can kill the lizard if the ghost wants it to. The ghost hems and haws, he comes up with excuse after excuse, saying, you know, he wants to think about it first, or saying he has it under control now. All the sorts of things we say when we're trying to get out of doing something difficult. The angel dismisses each objection, saying the only thing to do is to kill the lizard. The ghost is afraid, knowing the process of killing the lizard will hurt him too even afraid it might kill him. The angel acknowledges it will hurt, but promises it will not kill the ghost. Finally, desperate, the ghost accepts, exclaiming to the angel to go ahead and kill the lizard, even if it kills him too in the process. So the angel does, seizes it, he twists it, and he throws it to the ground. The ghost screams in agony. But then something interesting happens. The ghost is no longer a ghost. He becomes substantial like the people of heaven. And the dead lizard is transformed into a white stallion 
The ghost leaps onto the back of this stallion and they gallop into the heavenly country. Had the rich young man chosen to sell his possessions, give his money to the poor and follow Jesus, he likely would have found the process painful. However, his money that had always held him captive, that had always kept him back from the fullness of life in God's kingdom, it would have instead have become the very means to that fullness of life. The act of giving it all up would have freed him to follow Jesus without responsibilities and tithes. Is there any fuller life than that found in our Savior? Is there any fuller joy than that of being a child of God? Surely after giving up so much, the young man would have followed Jesus to the end. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, he would have been adopted by God and truly inherited God's kingdom. Don't let the things of this world hold you back from giving your all to God. Don't let the worldly comforts and security which you instinctively cling to hold you prisoner. With God's help, let them go so that you can follow Jesus with all that you are. He has far, far greater treasures for you in the kingdom of God. Amen.